Say for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. First and foremost, in my mind, the trailer for the book of Boba Fett dropped. What was your initial reaction to this? You literally just watched it. This looks really interesting. It looks like kind of what we speculated being like the power void like left by the hut. Yeah. Basically, Boba Fett taking it over. The one quote that stuck out to me is like, I want to rule by, what was it? Respect. Respect. Yeah, Jabba ruled through fear. I'll rule through respect, I think he says. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, that's not going to end well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of respectable people at that table. I was getting some real, like, Godfather slash Godfather 2 vibes from this trailer, which could not make me fucking happier, dude. (laughs) Oh, my God, man. Like, watching them all around that table, Boba Fett giving them a proposition that they should all profit off of. It's very Godfather 2. Very Godfather 2. There's a scene where Hyman Roth, who is Michael's enemy, but Michael's not sure of yet, and they go to Cuba, and he's, like, got this cake that's the shape of Cuba and he's carving off slices and handing it to people and it's basically like you'll get a piece like this is your piece of Cuba like he's handing out territories to everybody with the with the cake it's just a subtle thing but I got very much the vibe of what was going on in that scene and of course in that scene the guy who's running the meeting turns out to be Michael's enemy and I just get the feeling we're gonna get that kind of thing in this which makes me so fucking happy like feels like Disney is continuing what I want from Star Wars, which is I want to see different genre tales with Star Wars. Like, that's what I want. That's what the books fucking nail. They absolutely nail telling all these different kinds of stories with Star Wars, and it feels like that's the direction they're going with them. Good on them, dude. I'm happy. I don't need to see a single fucking Jedi in this thing. I want to see this be a gangster thing. I want it so bad, dude. Yeah, I'm very, very happy. Uh, They also announced that Jennifer Beals has been cast into it, so we got the Flash Dancer in there. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Have you seen Flashdance yet? No. For real? You really should watch it, dude. It is 100% the best movie that's set in Pittsburgh about a stripper slash welder. How many stripper welder movies have you seen that's better than Flashdance? Zero. <laughs> but for real, it's it's aged perfectly because it's such a fucking time capsule of the 80s, but it, it comes off as kind of hilarious. It's, it's worth a watch. It really is. And you just watch it and you're like, wow, there's these like three iconic things that I totally knew about that I didn't necessarily know were from this movie. I mean, one of them you will, which is like the pull in the bucket and the water going down on her. Yeah. But there's like a couple other things that you watch it and you'll be like, oh, that's from this movie. Like very much worth it. I hope she brings that energy to Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> I'm I'm assuming she's going to be a Twilight dancer. That's what I'm really hoping for. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to cast her yet. I don't want to get my hopes too high. She's but... typecasting, aren't you? I mean, she's never played a Twilight before, so... But she was a dancer. Yeah. But I mean, she's got the chops for it. That's what I'm saying. Like when you see her move around to what a feeling, I'm believing. I mean, she's probably pushing 60 now, but. I don't give a shit, dude. (laughs) I I saw her on uh, Instagram talking about it. She still looks good, dude. She's a good 60. Trust me. You know how hard it is to dance when you're 60? I don't give a shit, dude. (laughs) They got CGI. (laughs) Then why her? 
Because it's Jennifer Beals. <laughs> Why don't you give her something else other than dancing? She, she doesn't have to dance if she's a Twi'lek. I'm just saying maybe she's like a Twi'lek dancer who like has better days and now had she's looking to do something else. a great movie in the 80s. And yeah. <laughs> she had a great movie like back in the day, a great like hollow picture. And so now she's like trying to break out into something else, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like she's reinventing herself. Another piece of really big news. We're going to go away from trailers for just a second. Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness put out a puzzle and it features Shuma Gurath and America Chavez. Now, America Chavez, Marvel did announce last summer. Somehow I missed it. She was casted by, and I'm probably going to fuck up this name, but Zochitl Gomez. It's like X-O-C-H-I-T-L. I have no fucking idea how to say that name. I assume that X is a Z. But I don't know. Like, that might be from listening to too much X to the Z. You know what I mean? We all in the family. Chavez possesses superhuman strength and durability and the power of flight. She also has the power to kick open star-shaped holes into reality, allowing her and her teammates to travel through the multiverse and into other realities. Seems like a good time to introduce a character like that, right? Especially if you're going into a multiverse of madness. It's a good person to have on your side, I'm yeah. just saying. Can she kick with the power of punches? She does have a kicking ability. She can have tiny star fragments when she kicks or punches. And in moments of extreme duress, she can be shown to project a large star that releases a powerful energy blast capable of injuring even Captain Marvel. So there you go. Like, she's a cosmic level threat when she's up against the wall. But anyway, I just wanted to get that out for Chavez in case people didn't know about her. Uh, That character was created in 2011. She's Hispanic and is the first lesbian character for Marvel to have her own series. So, But this is more what I wanted to talk about. So Shuma Garath. There's been a lot of rumors that maybe What If was priming us because it's a demon that's got a giant eye and lots of tentacles. It's like a real Lovecraftian situation going on. We got tentacles in the first episode of What If. Carter was like fighting the tentacles going into the portal and people were speculating then that it would be that creature. And then we got a return of it when Doctor Strange was absorbing all the little demonic things and then finally gets to the tentacle, right? And that's what helps undo the world. That was probably this creature. I wrote down the greatest hits of Shuma Garoth. Doctor Strange went back in time to prevent Garoth from killing the Ancient One but he only managed to banish him from Earth. Thousands of years later, he returned and set himself up as a god. Holy men would come up to see him, and then he would murder them and, like, eat them. Uh, He was eventually trapped in a mountain while murdering the god Krom. That's right. The Wheel of Krom, that Krom, that Krom was buried under a mountain and killed by this creature. Later, he was freed, and then Conan defeated him and resealed him. So Conan was in Marvel Comics for decades, just to give you context for it. Eventually, Shumagarath returned and entered the Ancient One's mind, and Doctor Strange was forced to kill the Ancient One. So, kind of come full circle there. Strange opened a hole in the fabric of dimensional magic when resurrecting the citizens of Las Vegas from the dead. Don't know the context behind that. (laughs) Many demons poured through the hole and fought each other. Mephisto won! And he trapped the other demons in a sub-realm. Shumagarath was then blinded by Dormammu and then defeated by the Avengers. So get a little bit of Mephisto. Got some Mephisto. Yep. It was definitely Mephisto. So clearly we can expect Mephisto in Doctor Strange, multi-dimensional madness, whatever the fuck it is. I can't remember anymore. In the mouth of madness? Is that what it is? <laughs> the sheer cliffs of madness? Yeah, that's it. 
Oh, and Shumagaroth eventually found another way to Earth, but was defeated by Groot single-handedly when Groot grew himself to an extra-large size with some kind of scientific device. So there you go. That's the greatest hits. So now we are all prepped for this character to show up in Doctor Strange, assuming that puzzle is correct. And I don't really trade in rumors so much on this show, but as we know, when it comes out on the toys, it usually comes out on the big screen. So yeah. Boil it all down, Mephisto. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get Mephisto and Spider-Man. We're going to get Mephisto and Doctor Strange. That's what it boils down to. Maybe Doctor Strange is really Mephisto the whole time. So then the Morbius trailer dropped. So what was your impression of that trailer? Also of which you just watched. My first initial thought, and I know Jared Leto has been attached to this forever, but I'm like, those poor people that have to work with him. <laughs> like, I'm thinking that as I'm watching this trailer, I'm like, oh. Do you think he's bloodletting them to be method? If somebody's like taking a nap on set, he just like cuts himself and drips blood on them. I don't think that's what Morbius does. He would cut. No, their that's what Jared Leto does. Off of him. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> because he can't be just like does what uh, Morbius does. He's got to make his own like sick thing about it. I know that we're not supposed to like Jared Leto. In fact, I don't like Jared Leto. I watched this trailer and I kind of enjoyed it. Like, I kind of liked the vibe from it. I'm going to watch it. And I mean, I would have anyway for the podcast, but like, I actually want to go watch it. I don't know. Am I alone in this? No, I really want to watch it. Too. Okay. It's not just me. Like, I know he's a creep, but like, whatever. It looks better than Venom. <laughs> Even if they're tying it in with Venom, right? I mean, they're basically bringing out all the dark, the dark parts of the Spider-Verse. Yeah, so there's Easter eggs all over this. An obvious one is we got Michael Keaton as the vulture, and he says, what, hey, you should look me up sometime or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something along that. Like, hey, have my digits. Like, give me a call. Hey. He gives him a little kissy Hit face. me up. Yeah, yeah, just hit me up. <laughs> so we've got the Oscorp building. There's a part where they show the, the kind of landscape after they do the Sony thing. And they show Oscorp Labs. So it's the Oscorp's Labs from Amazing Spider-Man 2. Not super excited about that. Whatever, it's in the computer, I guess. <laughs> they also have Horizon Labs, which in the comics, Morbius worked there for a while and Spider-Man worked there for a while. And uh, Morbius found a cure for everybody during the Spider-Island story which was basically the jackal found the serum that he put into New York's water supply and everybody got Spider-Man powers. Yeah. Which was a lot of fun, especially when all of the people got Spider-Man powers, except for Peter Parker, wound up turning into giant spiders. So it was a fun little arc. Anyway, that Horizon Labs, that was in there too. So I don't know if that actually plays into it or not, but it's a nice little Easter egg one way or the other. We got a wall that was graffitied with Spider-Man, right? That said murderer over it which we saw in the previous trailer but people were noting now that's not tom holland's spider-man suit that's spray painted on there that's toby mcguire's spider-man suit that's painted on there we're getting a lot of multi-dimensional stuff they kind of went with the graffiti thing with the miles morales storyline and if miles morales tied into it somehow well, he is probably in Spider-Man Homecoming, kind of established because they have his uncle, who's actually the Prowler, is uh, played by Donald Glover, who like, you know, like <laughs> Spider-Man webs him to the car and he tells him like, you got to get better I got at this. ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My ice cream's going to melt. <laughs> think he says. And then also we got a Daily Bugle paper that was splayed out and on it they had a headline that was Rhino on the Loose, Zoo Hoax Fools Us All. So that could 
could be a fake, but the rhino was in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So maybe the rhino's in this, or maybe they're giving a nod to the fact that he's in Spider-Man Homecoming. I don't know. There's still, like, Sinister Six unaccounted for, right? Like, we think Venom is probably going to be in it. That leaves one. Rhino makes sense, right? Yeah. There's another Daily Bugle headline that says Black Cat, Friend or Foe. I don't know if they're just putting this in there or what. They were going to make that Black and Silver movie with uh, Black Cat. They canceled the movie, but I don't know. They might still be doing something with the character. So, And then, of course, at the very end, he's got the thing where the guy's like, who are you? And he goes, I'm Venom. Just kidding. I'm Michael Morbius. <laughs> right? So kind of a corny joke. I enjoyed it because I'm a dad. and It was a very dad joke. So I'm all about it. Right? Right. Now, this is a rumor that was actually talked about by some people. So I do want to address it. So um, Maya Hawk has been addressing rumors that she would be in Kill Bill Volume 3. And these rumors have been kind of floating out lately. And she's saying there's always rumors about that. Quentin is on his own darn schedule. He'll do what he wants when he damn well wants. But I've known him my whole life. And if he ever wanted to work with me again, of course, I would love to. Now, one of the reasons why this is becoming a rumor is because Quentin Tarantino was on Joe Rogan's podcast a while ago and he was asked about doing a Kill Bill Volume 3 and he says I think it's just revisiting the characters 20 years later just imagine the bride and her daughter BB having 20 years of peace and then that peace is shattered and the bride and BB are on the run the idea of casting Uma and casting her daughter Maya and the thing would be fucking exciting I mean Ellie Driver is still there Sophie Fatale got her arms cut off she's still out there they all got Bill's money Gogo had a twin sister her twin sister could show up so he kind of fed the flames for this but like that is the most tarantino thing i have ever heard gogo's got a twin sister so her twin sister should show up when has that been established you know what i mean right that's such a tarantino thing like in my head canon of course she's got a twin sister <laughs> that's just an excuse to use gogo again right yeah i think so that's kind of fun i was really excited by that prospect and i feel like he's just skirting over the fact that when he talked about kill bill three before he talked about it being that little girl watch your mom die so that character is out there too if she grows up to be an assassin i guess so yeah there's a lot of possibilities it sounds like maybe this could happen tarantino had also said later that like if he did it it would probably be like three years down the road for whatever reason <laughs> but i enjoy that too it is a possibility we just don't know what that last movie is gonna be so i actually read something today like just it kind of ties into that. One of the Kill Bills is Oran Ishii. So I was reading an article today. It was about like messed up parts of history. There was a, I think it was a cracked article and it was, or like an island where they were mining uh, seagull shit. World War One happened. So like everybody just kind of forgot about it. So like all of the miners basically just went Lord of the Flies on it. The one that stuck out was... uh Surgeon uh, General Shiro Ishii, who was a Japanese doctor in 1942, who was basically like tormenting Chinese people. And he basically would test biological weapons on them. Like he released like plague and anthrax and all sorts of nasty shit into the Chinese population. And so at the close of World War II, we're closing in on him. So he had 20,000 rats that were infected with the plague. Instead of just hitting the incinerate button and destroying all of it, he just released them into the Chinese population and then fled to back to Japan. Jesus. So that's not even like 
the worst part. So, like, it's estimated 20,000 people died just from that release of the rats. He's probably responsible for killing about 2 million people across China during what he was doing all his testing and stuff. But when the U.S. took over Japan at the end of World War II, he was captured, but he was given release so that the U.S. could get all of his uh, biological weapon research instead of him destroying it. Wow, that's craziness. How does that tie in with Kill He's Bill? got the same name as uh, <laughs> Lucy <laughs> <Okay>. Liu's character, <laughs> Ishii. If you say so. <laughs> I, so the Dexter reboot, of course, is coming up. I just have a little quote from Clyde Phillips. He said a lot of things, but the thing that stuck out to me, it should be noted before I say this, he was the showrunner of the show for seasons one through four, so like the good seasons of the show, and he's helming this reboot, and he said that the show had lost its way. I thought that kind of mattered that he said that. You know what I mean? Like, that is just absolutely acknowledging, yeah, they fucked up. I'm going to fix it. So that makes me hopeful for this because I'm going to have to watch it. Like, it's not even a choice. Like, my wife forces me to watch Dexter with her. So I would like to enjoy it, unlike the seasons five through eight or whatever it was. Yeah. On a similar subject, uh, there was an interview with um, Michael Hall. who uh, Michael C. Hall? Michael C. Hall. Um. And he was talking about the finale to Dexter. And he said, I totally get people's dissatisfaction with the way the show ended because it really didn't end. It just left us in this pretty unresolved, funny, certain place. And while I thought it that it made sense for the character to find himself in that position, to put himself in that self-exposed exile after all the chaos of the show, I would get why it was pretty unsatisfying and infuriating for fans. They spent all this time were longing for something that answered some questions or tied up some things and did something that the finale did not manage to do. But if nothing else, it did set the stage for what we've been up to the last several months. Maybe that's a silver lining. Just as I knew the show didn't sit that well in its finale with its viewers, it didn't sit well with me and I felt like I owed it to myself to explore it further if it came up. That it made sense to me and it did and owed it to the future of the character in order to the fans for sure. So like, even he didn't really like it. Yeah. But the, he's like, you can way, tell he's walking on that line. Like, he doesn't really want to bite the hand that feeds him, but he understood. Like The way he said it, it makes me think that he liked the ending at the time, and now he's trying to walk it back. <laughs> that could totally be possible, too. Because, like, the showrunner is biting the hand that feeds it, if you look at it that way. Like, that hand needs to be bitten. Like, yeah. for fans to buy in, they have to bite that hand, just plain and simple. There's a reason why that showrunner is not doing the reboot anymore. Like, they're going back to the old person, probably gave him a wheelbarrow of cash, and we're, we're like, please fix this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're bringing back Deborah Morgan's character. They're bringing back John Lithgow's coming back. Yeah, I think they're going to be, like, dark passengers. You know what I mean? Or, like, they're, they're going to serve like his dad served, I think. Probably. I, I don't think that you can bring those characters back satisfyingly. I would hope not. <laughs> yeah. They, like, as Dark Passengers, that makes a lot of sense. That's the only way it makes sense. Yeah. And you can't even really do flashbacks because they look so different at this point. Especially, like, Michael C. Hall, those last couple of seasons looked way different because he was battling cancer and he was, we- like, he lost all of his hair and he was wearing a wig and stuff for a while. So, like, he looked weird on the show for a while, too. So you're never going to get him to match up with that stuff 
stuff, and that doesn't really matter. But if you bring him back as a as a dark passenger, that works. But it's still a missed opportunity. And I'm going to say this: you have Biggs Helma reboot. Number one thing, he's got a person who like fucking just torments him all the time for making the wrong move, and it is. Are you ready? Dokes, you're a fucking freak show, Morgan. Like surprise, motherfucker. Yeah, surprise, motherfucker. Yeah, that's when he shows up. He shows up, <laughs> and he's like, "What the fuck?" Like that's the Force Ghost I want in Dexter. I want him to just fucking hound him all the time, calling him a freak show, like all of this every time he does something wrong. Like his feelings of guilt should be dokes. <laughs> It'll probably be a sister, right? Yeah, I would like it better if it was dokes. That would be pretty pretty baller. We lost dokes far too early. <laughs> that was the one mistake that showrunner made. Was like he killed dokes in season two. I got it. It had to be resolved. I understand, but like that character was amazing. Should not have gone out. You know? Yeah. Anyway, that's just where I'm coming from. So what else you got? We talked about Carl Reiner who passed away last June. Not what? last June, like the June before, right? June 2020. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah year before. This is 2021. So not, last June, not this June. Last June was the last June. <laughs> <laughs> What would you call the last June? This June. This June is coming up. No, that's last upcoming June. Last June already happened. <laughs> You're wrong on this. <laughs> Write in to notsaferNetwork at gmail.com. Let us know who's wrong. You know, let's make it official. Yeah, just tell Biggs he's wrong and we can move on. Yeah, right. I'm so confident on that. I'm not even going to respond that you're wrong. Go ahead. All right. So his stuff is going for up for auction on December 2nd. So there is a list of a few things that are notable in the auction. A lot of his uh, handwritten scripts, the Ocean's Eleven franchise, a bunch of stuff from the Jerry Weintraub Productions, The Man with Two Brains, the new Dick Van Dyke, uh, the 1969 film, The Comic. So there's his awards are all up for sale. Now going back to the, the handwritten screenplays there. So when you say the Ocean script, are we talking the original Ocean's Eleven with Frank Sinatra? Or are we talking the newer ones? You know, I don't know. It just says, including uh, Lotion's 11 franchise, so I'm guessing... It's a franchise that's got to be the newer ones, I right? I would Because I thought so. there was only one before. Yeah. Okay, so what awards are up there? This article isn't as in-depth as I really would like it to be, but... Just says his awards? Yeah. Okay. So, some of the odder stuff that's in this auction are a uh, a signed letter on White House stationery from Bill Clinton, a bamboo love seat from his home, a vintage copy of the LA Times from the day he was born. Yeah, that is written on Carl's first day. That is like totally old person stuff right there. <laughs> <laughs> he was a showbiz legend, so I guess I expected more, but that is like quintessential old person stuff, right? Like I have this newspaper that's totally in pristine condition because it's on some date that's important to me, right? Like <laughs> such an old person thing. Yeah. Man, I would have loved to see in like, I don't know, maybe like the thermos from the jerk, something from Mel Brooks or something. Maybe Mel Brooks came and collected it back, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff I would have been more interested in, but whatever. Like it would be an honor to have anything from Carl Reiner, right? Yeah. Was Rob up for sale? Nope, not Fuck. up for sale. I wanted to put Rob in a trophy case I have over here. Are you turning into the collector now? A little bit. <laughs> or are you Morpheus? <laughs> Mephisto. I knew you were going to go to Mephisto for no other reason than like, it kind of sounds like Morbius. <laughs> God damn it. 
Do you think we'll get Mephisto in the Mobius like <laughs> movie? <laughs> How far does this MCU sharing go? It doesn't go backwards. It only goes from Sony into Marvel. It doesn't go from Marvel into Sony. That's not true because like Spider-Man Homecoming had all kinds of the MCU heroes and it was produced by Sony. So I'm just I mean, saying. it had like a videotape of Captain America. It also had <laughs> Iron Man. <laughs> You know, like he was right there. But he's dead now, so it doesn't matter. And the dude taking the video wound up in Shang-Chi. It works both ways, dude. (laughs) And then you had some Tiger King info. Did you watch the original Tiger King? I did. Okay. What did you think about that when it was all said and done? If anybody that owns a tiger, whether they're helping or not, is fucked up in the head. Like a lot of people talk about how it's trash who hasn't watched it or whatever. I will say on a personal level, it made me win in a lot of arguments I've been having for a long time. I have always been against zoos since I was a little kid. I've just never been able to walk around a zoo and not feel like it was cruel. And I've had pretty much my entire family fighting me on that and telling me I was wrong over and over again. And everybody who saw this documentary had to like walk back their statements with me and admit, yeah, they're probably all cruel, you know? And I'm going to go with like, they're not all probably cruel. They're all cruel. All of them. I'm not a PETA dude or anything like that, but like entrapping something in a tiny area to watch it is already inherently cruel. And then you learn about the fucked up people that are like running these and breeding for these and all of that. And like, it's absolutely fucked up. But Carol Baskin, another kind of fucked up. Yeah. For people who are not in the know, if you somehow forgot from last year, because 2020 was like 17 years away. It was so long that like Brandon forgot Carl Reiner died in 2020 and said last June for like last June. You know what I mean? But uh <laughs> no, I said last June instead of this June. because No, really this weird June people... is coming up. No, that was last that was June. Upcoming June. That was last June. <laughs> it was the last June. <laughs> Carol Baskin probably killed her rich husband. She was not rich when she married him and then fed him to the tigers. That is most likely what happened. At least that's what the documentary has led us to believe. I believe it because these tiger people are fucking crazy. So what news dropped out of this Tiger King? So there's an upcoming season two that's coming out in a couple weeks. Carol Baskin and the Big Cat Rescue are suing Netflix and the production company, the uh, good production company. They're suing them because they weren't authorized to use her or the Big Cat Rescue in any future stuff and also like put in a jab that like they made us look bad in the the first series yeah they're gonna be just fine you know what i (laughs) mean i know carol baskin's got some skrill but they're gonna be just fine because it's basically a news story and you can get away with that when you talk about it you know like if you're telling a documentary you can get away with like using people's names and images so they're gonna get through that just fine it's just a way of fucking with them to try and get them to change some edits or maybe bail on it at the last second. Yeah. So, yeah, because they have used basically leftover footage from the first first go around and they're putting it into the ne- the newest, which wasn't authorized supposedly under the original contract. Now, all of that being said, is there any way that this next documentary is good? 
I'm probably going to watch it. I, I don't know. That's about not it. what I asked because I'm going to at least watch the first episode. But like think about that first documentary. What was so gripping about it is like you, you're watching this one thing that turns into another thing that turns into another thing that turns into another thing. Right. Like it's like a nesting doll. And that's why it was such a fucking phenomenon is like every time you thought you had a handle on what the fuck the story was about, there was this giant zag and you're like, what the fuck? Like this is even. <laughs> more fucked up like how do you go from like just all of that i don't need to yeah. repeat it everybody knows the story by now like i don't need to go over beat for beat but how do you zig and zag like that there's no way this one could do it like it's all big news stories now right there's no way they're getting exclusive shit on this can they yeah i mean there's i mean there's a bunch of stuff that's happened legally like and but this is all stuff that's out in the news already right yeah but people don't really follow the news so for somebody who's following the news i'm going to get punished because this is just going to be a substandard documentary. Is that what you're saying? No, but I mean, and what you see in the news is probably just the surface level shit. Like, I mean, we knew about Joe Exotic before Tiger King just through watching John Oliver, but we learned like this much of like this huge deep hole. Well, John Oliver's only got so much time, but yeah, I just feel like anything that happens now winds up being like a a 700 page New York Times story, you know? I don't know. What I'm saying is I'm going to watch it. I have zero hope that it's going to be good. If I was to rank it from one to a hundred of being good, I would say it's got like a a 10% chance of being good. What about 12%? Nope. I know what you're going for, but not even for the joke while I go 12%. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a plan. This is the odds of a documentary being good. All right, we're here with Carl. Hey. So you wanted to talk about this concert, which somehow I, I completely missed. I am shocked. To. I am shocked that you heard nothing about this show. Okay, so uh, there's a rapper named Travis Scott. There was a music festival in Texas uh, called Astro World. They oversold the tickets by 20,000. And so... 30,000 people got into the stadium and then 20,000 people fucking rushed through the, rushed the gates and write it out. Like I, I read several accounts from people that were there and they said the energy was wrong from the fucking get go. People were racing to get to the front of the stage and like there was literally no place to put your feet. And this was before it even started. Right. Everyone was pushing forward and then the show started and the swell pushed even farther forward. And you, if your, hands, you if your con- hands were up in the air, you could not put your hands down. Right. Have you been to a concert where something like that happened? I've been to concerts where it, I mean, a little bit, a little bit. Right, right. I don't mean like somebody not dying, like but this like, in, like the not swell to the, towards the front. Like yes. That happened, I've been in a crowd when it swelled forward like never, that. It's terrifying. Yeah. That never stopped when I was at a Warp Tour. Brandon and I were there and there was like two big spots where there was a mosh pit where like people were seriously fucking each other up. And once like once I got pushed into there and I was just like it was like Vietnam, dude, I was just like dodging around trying to not get hit because it's all those assholes with spiked bracelets and stuff that want to fuck people up. But I wound up in this wave towards the front and it was right before Green Day played and I got shoved into the bar 
And it just like knocked the wind out of me. And I realized like, this is not going to stop. And so I just like willingly went over the fence where you had to like, cause there was security in the front. So it's like, they understood people were like going over the bar and then coming to the back of the crowd. I willingly went to the back of the crowd because it, like that scared the shit out of me. And it was one of those things too, where like, you can't really move your arms until I got to the front and hit a bar and there was nobody in front of me. Like it is scary. And you do realize in that moment, if I fall, I'm going to get stepped on a lot. Like yeah. it's scary, dude. I was at a show once and I was not at the very front, but I was like second from the front. And there was actually a, a girl in front of me that was very tiny and uh, everything started to push forward when like the mosh pit started going. And I wound up having to like take my arms and like put them on either side of her and then just brace my arms as hard as I could and push back because they were smashing into me and I could, I would have then smashed into her and I could have, my body could have been what crushed her to death. So I had to like give her space yeah, and create this by like bracing my arms and just kind of get buffeted. And then there was like a lull when they were like switching something. And I was just like, we need to get the fuck out of here. Like, this is not a place for either of us. Yeah. And so I, like, helped her get out of there, and then I went my own way. And uh, at this point, I mean, I'm just too old to be that close to oh, the front anyways. So too. I would never be caught in that situation now. I had another show I went to. I went to a Nine Inch Nails show with my cousin and a, a couple of people. Once again, Brandon. <laughs> and uh, there was a dude who was between me and my cousin, and I was seeing him going up and groping her. And you get all this really messed up stuff when you get a lot of people pushed together in a space that's not big enough for all those people you know and that particular show would have been big enough but everybody was like like the floor was massive and they were smart enough to leave space on the floor but unfortunately what everybody did was just push towards the front right so you've got this big wide open area where you could go back and chill but like in the front it was just fucking like awful and it's really important when you have shows like that that whoever is on stage with the microphone understands that some Sometimes you're going to have to do the thing where you like calm everybody down, say like in the back where you take like five steps backwards and things like that. Or if somebody's doing something fucked up in the crowd to like call it out and let it be known that that's not going to happen because it actually does have a real effect. Oh, man. No, it saves people's lives. I I watched seri- multiple clips of other concerts where they stopped the show mid show and were just like, hey, get that fucking person up. Get that fucking person up. Help that person. Yeah. I saw uh, what's I saw Eddie Vedder do it with Pearl Jam the second time I um, watched it. What was uh, that band that uh, kind of made rap rock like a real big thing? Is it Linkin Park? Yes, Linkin Park. There's a really good video of the two of them just being like, not only like stopping the show, but then admonishing the crowd because they're like, we talked about this before we started. We said safety's fucking, we chanted a thing and you chanted it back and now we're going to do it again. They're like treating the audience like a bunch of little kids. And uh, then there was a good one with a guy, Mark Rebelay. I think I've played that guy. He's like, uh, he builds songs live and then he like sings to him and stuff. He's really good. But he's like building, he's in the middle of building a song. He's standing on the stage in his fucking underwear. <laughs> and then somebody is like, and he's just like, what? What's going on? Oh shit. We need a fucking medic over here. We need a fucking medic. And then he's like, we're just going to chill. Turned out they were having like a seizure. So he's like, turn off all the lights. Let's get all the lights down. We need to drop the sensory level. Everybody, you know, and he like calmed and he like kind of worked it into the show. I wouldn't be surprised if people left that show being like, 
we were part of something because this person had an incident at this show and they, they made it through. We made that person issue as comfortable as possible for them. We all contributed to that, you know, and now you're part of this communal experience that's positive, right? Like, and this whole situation, it raises all sorts of discussions because there is, of course, the discussion that you broached with, you know, the responsibility of the performer. He's up on stage. They are up on stage, whoever it is, and they're looking out on that crowd. And I don't expect them to eagle eye spy a person getting sucked into the the mob and going under. I don't expect them to spot that individual person, but you can sense the mob itself. The the audience has a sort of energy that you can feel. And there were so many people talking about how they, the energy was bad and they could just sense that something bad was going to happen that I can't imagine that Travis Scott couldn't sense that too on some level. Yeah. But then the other issue is like with Travis Scott specifically, because this guy has done this before. He has pled guilty to like endangerment by way of inciting a riot at a concert. He pled guilty. You know, there is no denying that he, that he does this, that so he can, he contributes to the, that kind of an attitude and he wants his fans to behave this way. So I don't think you actually said what happened in the show. I mean, I know you talked about it. Well, the crowd pressed forward. Eight people got crushed to death. About, I think, 11 people wound up having heart attacks from being like crushed, like pressed up so much that blood pressure goes up and and you drop. And uh, an ambulance had to like weave its way through the crowd and they had to like push people out of the way to get this ambulance through the crowd. And he never stopped the concert. And I watched another video that took place up on the platform at the back of the concert where the cameramen are filming the stage and a girl and a guy who are people that are just concert goers climb up this ladder and are screaming at the cameraman. You you need to stop the show. They're People have died. There are dead people in that crowd right now. And the cameraman is just shrugging and just like, I got to do my job. I can't stop. The cameraman was scared of retaliation and just kept going. And then they were yelling at them like, we'll throw you off this platform if you don't climb down. Get out of here. Like threatening them with violence. And all they're doing is being like the girl is having a meltdown. She's completely traumatized. Like I think she may have like been in direct contact with one of the dead people or something. I read her account of it and it was just horrifying. The other issue that this also raises is for me and what it gets me thinking about. We'll just make this the third prong of the of the salad fork of the Travis Scott Astro World debacle. And that is the insane parasocial relationship that people form with celebrities. And like you and me, we are familiar with celebrities. We know their, we know movie stars, you know, acting roles, and we know more than most about other people like directors and composers and this and that. And we learn their stories and we learn their histories and we are inspired by them. But this is something else. This is akin to watching those videos of the Beatles concerts and just seeing these women just screaming uncontrollably like they're being electrocuted and yeah. not they don't even look like they're having fun they're like sobbing that's, and they look like their faces look like masks of pain that's why they stopped playing live their last couple of years was they said it was pointless they showed like up who's he, how are they even paying attention to the performance that they're at because they're so busy just like losing their shit and this is like that only instead of Sitting in one place screaming, they're like rushing forward and pushing and pressing and turning into this like 
amorphous. It's just this, they were the society final scene. Yeah. Is what the, this crowd was. So we did this podcast box office battle where we talked about this movie society. It's really gross. There's like this. You don't really know what's going on until the end of the movie. But basically they're. They're like aliens and they can meld their flesh together into this big amorphous blob of bodies. And they suck the insides out of regular humans and. That's they like. It's really stupid. Yeah, it's the worst special effects you'll see in a movie from that era. Like not comparable to the fly or the thing or anything from that time. It's just fucking bullshit, is what it is. <laughs> Fuck that movie. <laughs> and this is and you know so it's a good fair comparison Analogous, to yeah. this because fuck this concert. It should never have. Oh, also, there was a report from fucking TMZ that there was somebody in the crowd injecting people with an unknown substance. And so they were blaming that on – they're like, oh, it never would have happened if that guy hadn't have been in the in the crowd. Like people on Twitter were taking that unverified fucking TMZ report and right. trying to use that to like, like take the blame off of tra- – <clears throat> like people are actively trying to say – Travis Scott is not responsible in any way for this. And while I don't necessarily think he's 100% responsible, he's probably 90% responsible. Yeah, that's the thing is there's always plenty of blame to go around for sure. But first off, this whole TMZ report, like why do people take stuff seriously when it's like a guy with a coffee cup who's like talking to a quote unquote newsroom where they're just shooting the shit? Like, oh, there just happens to be a camera there while we're working? Huh. (laughs) Like I, I hate that. I hate everything about TMZ, but uh, it's the worst. It really is, dude. It's the worst. Okay, it's the worst, and it's the worst of all the like official media companies. Yeah. Because, like, there are knockoffs. That's what all the fucking clickbait bullshit is, is they're all, they're knocking off the TMZ business model and they're doing it worse. So they're actually the real worst. The We Got This Covered, the giant freaking robots, the freaking whatever else that. Although even I will though, say giant freaking robots have some good articles whenever, at least. Whenever I'm on Facebook news tab and I see one of those shitty articles, I always go hide all from We Got This Covered. And then two days later. There's a fucking article from We Got This Covered. I've like, had that. What's even the point of the hide button? I've had that with uh, Screen Rant <laughs> quite a few times. Yeah. Screen Rant has pissed me off over the years, over and over again, because of what we do. You know, like when I see an article, I'm going to click on it as I'm going, and it's clickbait over and over again. Like all Screen Rant does is just clickbait, clickbait, clickbait. And it's yeah. like, fuck you. I don't even want the temptation. And I haven't clicked on it for years, but I keep hitting hide, and somehow it keeps popping. Popping back up. Yeah, it's it's crap because I know what kind of article I want to read and Screen Rant apparently has the the sweetest of deals with Facebook of all my content that shows up there. So yeah, it is what it is. But going back to the concert really quick, I do think that artists have a tremendous responsibility. I don't know if you're if you're aware of this, but the guy who invented the microphone a little before World War II blamed himself for the rise of Nazism because he felt like his invention basically gave Hitler power because Hitler would go onto the microphone and apparently was charismatic. I mean, it seems fucking crazy, but we've also viewed it under a certain we elected, lens, you know? We elected Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point. And and th- if you just saw you Donald listen- Trump, nobody's like going to be enamored Dude, by him. Donald but- Trump fans, the people that listen that like vote for him and go to his rallies, they think he they think he is charismatic. They yeah. think he's the most charismatic. Which means he is. Like honestly, <laughs> yeah. like even though he he is not to me, he is 
apparently I, very, very charismatic to a, a portion of the population. I mean, I got to admit, I kind of get a bit of like arrogant vibes from this microphone inventor guy. Like, but like he invented <laughs> okay, something that wasn't there. And it's just then like he watched can saying claiming responsibility in that way is like weird. I don't think he is responsible in any way. <laughs> Like, I do get that, like... I don't think he's can, responsible The either, microphone but. allowed him to reach more people at a with his words Well, think about it. Like, it really like, a start, bigger crowd. It really starts with the rallies. Yeah, it starts with the rallies. And that's where he's... Because before it was, like... Yeah. A lot of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff would be people writing things and putting it into a newspaper, right? Or, like, distributing pamphlets. And you would go to speak, but you could only have rallies so big where they could hear what you're saying. Also, like, it just, it just changed the very nature of how this stuff works. It feels like if that guy hadn't invented the microphone, somebody else would have because... Oh, 100%. It was, the microphone was a thing that was destined to be invented by somebody. Yeah, but it's also like the atom bomb, right? Like if you invented the atom bomb, you would rightly so feel extremely guilty. Would have been invented anyway. That was just the course we were heading down. Well, and, would it though? I think Or was so. it given to us by Festus? <laughs> <laughs> and that brings us to our review of Eternals, or at least my review of Eternals, because you may have already talked about it with Brandon. I did not. It was not out yet. (laughs) Okay. So you saw Eternals. I saw Eternals. And we have not talked about it since we've both seen it. So, like, I think I briefly talked to you about it. Just enough to say, like, I don't think it's quite what the critics are summing it up to be. So this is probably a good place to start, is uh, I do want to talk about the reaction around it and the story around it, but I do want to give a review for sure because I stayed away from all of this until after I read it and came up with my own feelings. When it comes to certain movies, like, I just know there's going to be a thing around it, you know? It's going going to be a deal one way or the other and I don't want that coloring what I think about it as much as possible. So I try and like form my opinions. Then I kind of dive in. So it was the fourth highest weekend in history since COVID. It did 161 million worldwide, 70 million domestic. A Rotten Tomatoes, the critics as of this recording gave it 48%. And that's where it's at right now. Yes. And the audience score is 81% right now. It seems like a lot of the story around it from critics is saying that it's a muddled mess that it is ambitious but isn't able to really hit its marks and that the story doesn't make sense this is like a lot of the criticisms i've read i'd say i've read like six or seven reviews that seems to be the common threads that i've seen in the reviews the audiences just seem to like it they're like something different like i like it like it delivers what i wanted from it so we've got a wide divide and i've said before usually i fall on the critic side of that this is not one of those times i actually really enjoyed this movie i read a opinion and uh, uh, what would you say like a columnist and they said that what they think is happening their conspiracy theory about this movie for the why the critics are giving it bad reviews is because she just came off of doing this universally beloved by the critics yes oscar winning movie nomadland and it was like an indie movie and it was like we're not i'm not working with the man i'm doing my own art house thing can i tell you what it actually is no because i'm still talking okay and then she went and made a movie for marvel she made a movie for one of the big companies that is the man 
And she also doesn't bring her same exact filmmaking style to this. She allows herself to use the Marvel toolbox. She makes a Marvel movie. She doesn't make an indie Nomadland movie that is in the Marvel universe. She makes a Marvel movie that's gorgeous and high production value and all of that shit. And these critics are like, she betrayed Traitus. We thought she was one of the good ones. Now it turns out she's a sellout. So a lot of the criticisms have that bias. Yeah. As part of it. And that's that's this person's particular theory about why the critic score is so low. I think there's something behind that. But the irony of it is she made No Man Land after she'd made Eternals. Like Eternals has just been sitting gummed up in the works because of COVID. Right. Uh, but she made No Bad Land after that. And No Bad Land is like one of the reasons why critics loved it is it's half documentary almost because you have like Francis McDermott in the lead role. And I think they have two or three other actors that appear throughout it but everybody else is real boomers that were traveling around that didn't have homes that were living out of rvs and it's like this whole culture of people right so it's like it's an unusual movie because when you watch it it's half documentary it's half you know movie narrative and it's so well interspersed that it's hard to tell what's true and what's not other than when you recognize a face right but i don't think you can hold that against her because a if you really like no bad land and you're like oh now she's selling out to mcu got the order of operations wrong like that's just because it, and critics right. should know and this, this just is because not... it's like released differently doesn't mean that's when it was made and second off this is just part of a bigger overall thing which is like marvel's trying to get good filmmakers with different points of view and bring them in like they're able to get the cream of the crop so they do and you get a lot of people who are just like doing one for marvel one for me one for marvel one right. for me right and you know the other thing too is that like these movies all take place in a shared system. So you need to have a certain amount of consistency across these movies. Yeah. Like, and you do, you allow your directors to make certain, you know, add their own flair and style to it. That's why they're hiring these people to begin with. This is like, oh, I want you to bring some of that James Gunn energy. Oh, I'm going to have you bring some of that Matt Reeves. And I don't know who is that guy. The take take IYTD. Yeah. Like. Taiko IYTD, Chloe Zhao, uh, all these people. Um, the, that, who's the one that's directing the, the next Marvels? The Marvels, uh, uh, Ada. Oh, I'm Ada, not sure. Um, oh. She was just on Blank Check, and she yeah, was really that. like, I'm excited to see her movie just from listening to her talk about other movies with with Griffin and David. You know, Brian Coogler, dude. Like Ryan Coogler. Yeah, fuck, dude. Ryan Coogler started out making a really, really great independent movie Can't. like Fruitvale Station and then like goes to the genre thing with Rocky but rejuvenates it and does it in a way where it's like speaking to a lot of people that wouldn't normally give a shit about a Rocky movie and then he brings that energy to Black Panther. Now he's doing Wakanda Forever, which is having its problems. Yep. That's not his fault. <laughs> it, it just is what it is. But then he's also balancing that with like he's making a, a movie like a drama about a teacher with like Michael B. Jordan because he's in every movie. Right. I don't know if he'll be able to squeeze him into Wakanda forever. It's possible, but... Fucking... I think Killmonger is ripe for coming back. 
Yeah, and it I might think. be like a flashback thing too if he brings him in. But Michael B. Jordan is kind of his good luck charm for movies. For sure. So. And he's good. Yeah. He's good. Absolutely. They're bringing these different flavors from different filmmakers. And with Chloe Zhao, you get some things that are kind of different. Like this is a more contemplative movie. Um, there was a sex scene. Yeah, there's a sex scene. It's all natural light. Like the colors don't pop like they do in other Marvel movies. And so a lot of people were like making the DC comp just for the way it looks, which is actually kind of fair. You know, what's not fair? I think Kumail Nanjiani's eyebrow should have got its own list listing in the <laughs> cast list at the credits because, boy, that eyebrow was doing some heavy work. I was Every time his eyebrow arched up, I was just like, look at that fucking eyebrow, dude. That is amazing that he can do that. It's like it goes up like 10 feet, dude. It it's, arches up and you're like, oh, I love that. And he's Especially jacked when he's, now, too. So he's basically becoming okay, like Little but, Rock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why did he need to get jacked for that movie? He doesn't punch anything. He just shoots lasers out of his finger guns. My theory he is just he Kamehameha's. didn't need to get jacked. I think he absolutely went to get jacked expecting maybe a slightly different thing. But like, I, it seemed like Kumail was was up for getting jacked for this movie. Like I've I heard get, him talk I around get, it I think before. that at first, I think he kind of like warmed up to it as it went along. Mm-hmm. And he could see these like tangible results, like noticeably tangible results. Uh, and you do have and to I thought do he was, certain stuff. I thought he was. Like, I really enjoyed Kamel in this movie. I thought he was great. K- Kingo, Kango, Kingo. Like they like, do a really good job being, of making him very hateable at the beginning, and then oh, making dude, him I, lovable as it I went I think along. I flipped on every single character at least once on how I felt. Like Druig hated Druig at the first. Which at character the, is that? He's again? the one that had the mind control powers. Okay. Like we I should probably get into spoiler zone here. Uh, let's just give general impressions super fast, and then and then we'll get into specifics. But I liked it. I say go see it. Yeah, I thought it was good. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's long. Oh yeah. my god, it's long. It I is, did, but I don't think it was unnecessary long. I just think it had a pace and a vibe. Yeah, yeah, it, it works for sure. I did find myself checking the time three times, but that's only because I kind of got like, oh my god, what time is it I, now? I had to wake up my daughter because she was snoring loudly in the theater. <laughs> like my daughter has been falling asleep of course, in movies a lot. I dozed off for a little bit during Shang Chi and. I didn't doze off during this. And I think Shang-Chi is actually more of like an exciting movie than this was. Yeah. And so Yeah, I had that weird you were sitting right next to me. I had that weird moment where I had to be like, do I wake him up? Like he's a grown ass <laughs> yeah. man. Like and then I, I woke know, myself And then up. you woke up. Yeah. Um okay, so we're saying see it. We're gonna go into spoiler territory if you haven't um, watched it yet. This movie did a really good job for me of like they cast some seriously heavy hitters and they their presence didn't actually take me out of the movie whatsoever. Angelina Jolie did not take me out of the movie being that big actress that she is. Salma Hayek didn't take me out of the movie. Yeah. I was really impressed by that. That like these two main big people that like can draw focus. I will be honest. The only thing that pulled me out, and this is no fault of Angelina Jolie or the movie, but uh, her lips are so big. <laughs> I started thinking back, and I don't think I've seen an Angelina Jolie movie in the theater. And so there was something about actually seeing it on the big screen where it just like pulled me out for a second because she doesn't look any different. You know what I mean? Like I've seen her forever, but I've always seen her on a TV. And there's something about seeing those lips so big. I was just like, holy shit. But that, you know, that's the only focus I got pulled and not the fault of anybody has didn't this is a weird uh thing that popped into my head during the movie at one point so i guess it did take me out and it was towards the end like i i was there with my coworker john 
And like, uh, I thought it was pretty funny how often they wind up standing in a line. And it's like, man, they are so yeah. good at standing in they, a line. They overdid that a they're little so bit. They're so good at that. But at one of the times towards the end of the movie when they're standing there, for some reason, I like noticed how busty Angelina Jolie is. And I was like, wait, didn't she get like a double mastectomy from breast cancer? I hadn't heard. This is what it was. I felt bad for her because I was like, she's not allowed to change what how she looks. Like, she's been this big, busty woman all her life on camera. And, like, people would be like, what happened to her? Like, it would become articles on Salon and freaking Variety and all those shitty magazines that only care what women look like. And so I came at it from an empathetic place. But, I mean, it was I'm still as Angelina Jolie's boobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the characters. Yeah, so you were talking about Droog. I was about, talking like, about switching how perspectives on them. so many of these, like, I liked Sprite right out of the gates, and then I kind of, I didn't like, and then Sprite, but they all are, like, betraying each other, and I'm like, wait, now you're bad. Wait, now you're good. Now you're bad. Now you're good. You forgive yourself. Now they forgive you. No, you don't forgive yourself. Now you fly into the sun. Now, this is this is something <laughs> that I read criticisms of, like, they're trying to handle too many characters. And I don't think so because no, almost every character was integral to the plot. And what I mean is, like, so you have seven superheroes. So it sounds like a lot of people to establish. But your villains are your superheroes, basically. Right? Well, that was like, what I thought was when, interesting. When you get to that point. So you're flipping There to, were no superheroes or supervillains. Yes. They were both. Both, both, yes. and they were both like pawns of multiple things. Because like, they but were are pawns. they pawns or just delivery well, tools. systems? Tools, yeah. Like that's that's what's really interesting about this is it refuses to take a moral stand on a lot of this stuff, and I love that, dude. I love that it's ambiguous. You know, like the plot of the movie is basically a trolley problem, right? Like, is it okay to save Earth when you are sacrificing many, many more planets that will? sustain life because you're snuffing out the celestial right is that okay you're sacrificing all these people but then you're sacrificing many more people to save this one planet like i love that dude there's not here's the right answer i think that it's not okay and it's because of this ryan north he wrote squirrel girl there is an episode of squirrel girl an issue of the comic where galactus comes to earth and he's gonna eat earth and then squirrel girl's like Hey, wait a minute. Let's go take a look at your little computer thing that finds planets with high concentrations of energy, right? And she finds a planet that is like covered with nuts, like nut trees and nut bushes. And it's like the whole a whole planet of nuts. And there are no sentient beings on this planet. It's just tr- nut trees. And nuts have very are very concentrated sources of energy. So Galactus is able to feed on this nut planet. And nobody is harmed and he is like full for the first time in a long time. And him and Squirrel Girl just hang out and are friends. (laughs) So like at the end of the day, in an infinite universe, there are definitely solutions that haven't been even considered yet. Yeah. And what it comes down to is that like the Celestials, they came up with a a plan and then they're like, okay, we're going to do this. For all eternity. And maybe as eternity is going on, things in this universe are changing. And maybe when they first started it, like sentient life was different. 
But then as it evolved over eons and as the Eternals went from planet to planet, helping these things come along, maybe they were continually altered by their experiences on these other planets. And then when they got to Earth, they had been so changed, even though their memories were getting wiped, they were so changed that then they had this new effect on Earth that then made Earth this kind of place that they're like, wait, this really isn't worth. Because at the end of the day, uh, if I can say it sounds like they're constantly horrified when they go to destroy the planet, right? Like that's why they yeah. get their memory wiped. Like the it cel- ruins it. Right. The Celestials as well, like they did nothing to interfere with what Thanos did. And that would have severely hampered their plans, right? To, so th- to, to, on, cause half the universe's <clears throat> life was wiped out, which means that's, like countless numbers of celestials who are not going to be born. The fact that the celestials didn't interfere with that means that their plan is flawed. Their plan to co- to make sentinels in this fashion is bad. It's a bad plan. Yeah, at least absolutely. at this point in the universe where planets have come up and have reached a level of sophistication where they can directly interact with the celestials themselves. They can kill celestials. They can, you know, do lots of stuff to They can have a big gambling bar in the middle of one of their dead heads. So like for, for, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before we get off it, because I don't want to forget to talk about this. But um, so one of the criticisms that I heard over and over again, this was not in movie reviews proper, like not through the, the regular channels that you would expect, but like through blog pages, comic book sites and shit like this, is a lot of people just will not let the Thanos snap go that like the Eternals didn't interfere with it and that it's just ridiculous that they have this whole thing and that they like sideline this and they're ignoring it and come up with whatever backward reason but I'm like no but what's important about it is like that's what proves to the leader of the Eternals that humanity's worth saving is that they bring back humans like they they get that gauntlet they get all of this power and what do they do with it they bring back life throughout the galaxy and I think to their that's own like, detriment as well because if the snap had been allowed to stay the this emergence would have been delayed possibly indefinitely yeah so but by my, but by bringing point. their own people back they also turned the doomsday clock back on for themselves so Not it wasn't knowingly, yeah right yeah. but it was like yeah that's they sacrificed their future to save their own people the important thing out of it like one of humanity you know bruce banner obviously but uh he had infinite power and what he chose to do with it was bring people back who were sent away. And I does I, that get canceled out by how Tony used the because uh, Tony used it to kill. Yeah, that's different. But oh, uh, it's clear, clearly she was focused on that particular. Act, so we right? have Bruce Banner to thank for the Eternals. Getting that's what off I'm their, saying. Yeah, off their, it was his off de- the bench. It was his decision that like led her to what happened with humanity. Right. I also and think so I think that's important. And I, like I hate that so many of these blog pages are like like screen rant or whoever i don't know that they did a particular review because i ignore them but this is the type of shit that they write up all the time which is like finding this little thing and trying to exploit it into all these like fake thought pieces that aren't really thought pieces they're just grabbing onto people that want to criticize it and like it's backwards to me because the thanos thing is incredibly important to this story as it has been to all of the stories to some degree like it's been important but it's really, really important in this story because, like, that's the impetus for all of this happening on both sides of it, right? Like, the Eternals turning against the Celestials and the Celestials, as you said, moving up the clock. So, I just wish people would think about their shit before they write it, but that's not really what they're doing. They 
you're just trying to invoke a response with people. So uh, let's see. My mild criticism, because I don't have any heavy, serious criticisms. Mm-hmm. I think it's really funny that they speak English and use American Sign Language in 5000 BC. But I understand <laughs> yeah. that that's just for the ease of storytelling. Yeah. I, but I thought it was I was like, wow, they got American Sign Language. In 5000 BC, cool. Maybe they were, maybe they they taught. You could like go, oh no, they taught American sign language. What's even crazier about that? The Americans is is it's regional too. Uh, When I was trying to learn sign language, which I learned none of it at all at my old work, they were talking about how like signs change regionally. So like if you're in Philadelphia and then you go to like L.A., a lot of it is completely different. (laughs) So that made me funny. Again, the uh, they really like to stand in lines. Uh, (laughs) That was really funny to me. Um, I really liked the fact that Kango got sick of traveling. And so he just decided to start a film dynasty. (laughs) And he's like, my great, great grandfather's in that movie. My grandfather's in that movie. My father's in that movie. I'm in this one. (laughs) And then I like his valet. I thought that was a really good yes. bit. Like his valet's been with him for forty years, and then like started as a child, and just like is and there filming everything. Clearly, just knows what what the deal is and what's going yeah, on. Yeah, he's great. I didn't like the deviants because I felt like so. First of all, in the comics, the deviants are not mindless beasts. No, they are. Uh, Thanos is a deviant in the comic. He has a uh, deviant and celestial blood. Like his ancestry is all kinds of crazy. It's complicated. Yeah. But he's from Titan. I don't know. Anyways. He's from the moon of Titan. So my limited knowledge of Thanos from the comics was making my understanding of how Thanos is a deviant, but these creatures are deviants and they're just like not even remotely the same. Although I guess kind of that purplish color could be, you could construe yeah, you can make looks, a connection he, between he them. physically looks different than everybody else in the and the creature like star fox is his brother yeah and star fox looks like what everybody else looks like on the moon of titan yeah like thanos is the one that stands out right and yeah it was interesting uh but i didn't like the creatures very much i i didn't like that they didn't have personalities really except for that one and then even then like he was built up and he was like evolving and then he just got eliminated at like very suddenly and i thought that was kind of a waste why devote the time to build this creature up and to make it increase if you're not going to then do anything interesting with it why give it a mind and then not figure out a way to defeat slash remove it as a threat can once I... it can reason can't you then reason with it okay so i think the whole purpose of that was he actually helps make the Eternals reconsider what they're doing. Like, he looks at them as absolute villains, which they look at the Deviants as absolute villains. But They were both they're, created they're, by the Celestials. Yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of siblings. Their goal is to basically be like, no, what you're doing is terrible. Like, you're hunting after my people and, like, killing my people. Like, you're basically an apex predator, just like they well, are. Well, see, that's right? why like, I that's thought... sort of they, they start out the movie in the classroom talking about apex predators and then you find out that the deviants were apex predators but the eternals are hunting them so they're really the apex predator right and so like it's a way of them looking in the mirror once they get that reflection and the conflict changes it's like let's do away with the deviants. i was but i was half expecting there to be a conversation towards the end where the deviant was saying like you were created by the celestials arishim created you 
Ereshim created me. We're both his creations. We've been pitted against each other. I think one of and the what Eternals we need says that to, to do him, don't they? Is we need to like work together. And I thought that at the I kind of did think that at the end that um that Crow is technically the name in the credits, but they never say it, I don't think. Uh would like lend his power to help shut down the the Fatima that's awakening. Uh but that didn't happen. Instead, Thena just went slice, 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 slice and cuts them up into like a hundred pieces. Right. And I thought maybe those pieces are still going to be moving, but no, I'm pretty sure that that thing is dead. But I also think the deviants show like, okay, so they were the apex predator, <clears throat> but they don't learn. They don't change their behavior, right? They just keep doing it. And Not then, until and he starts that... absorbing the Eternals' memories. But even when he's absorbing their memories, his thing is like, I am totally coming after you now. Like, this is a revenge. But play. he also, like, there was that so moment where So the Eternals where he... are, they're like, they are fully turning around, or at least five six of them are, are turning around and, and changing their ways at the end well and you see him you see crow like evolve those five other deviants and like turn one into a bird and one into mm-hmm. like a scorpion wolf and one into like all sorts of weird shit at the end of the day i still think those monsters were kind of a cgi mess it would have been nice to see something a little less like symbiote yeah goopy I... they were like kind of goopily creatures that would be like shoot little goop tentacles out at you and like suck your guts out. Or I did whatever. feel like there was too it's much kind of deviance. Like this was a very thoughtful movie, and I get why it's in there. It's to keep, in particular, kids engaged because they at even, least you have something. She fantastical. even did one of the cardinal sins, I'll say, of um, more recent action movies, like particularly Michael Bay type, where they'll be like, "We're in the middle of this important info dump," and then all of a sudden, monster grabs you. And- pulls you into the sky and now hell breaks loose and you're like like uh, uh a good example is um is actually atlantis uh, uh uh aquaman like every single info dump in aquaman gets interrupted by an explosion <laughs> they're like in the middle all right this is what we we're gonna have to do Kaboom! yeah that's a james <laughs> wan special right there and too like chloe so many- Zhao did that at least once in the amazon when they're talking to Druig and like they're having this conversation that I'm like, ooh, you need to resolve this. And then bah, bird monster grabs somebody and sends him flying into this kind <laughs> of We can't like, wrap up too much too you. quick. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little DC influence there, not Marvel. Oh, also, here's another fun thing. So Batman exists in the Marvel universe as a comic book. Yeah. Because and they are that. like, you're uh, you're Alfred. And he's like, yeah, I'm Alfred. Also, somebody is reading a Star Wars comic. So basically everything exists except for Marvel comics I'm going, in the Marvel universe. I'm going to say this is not the first time with the Superman thing. Maybe not in MCU, but like Spider-Man they have references sure. to, but to not Superman as, and the Raimi ones. But, but as a comic. Right. But what I'm going to... They I'm, read Superman comic books in the Marvel universe. Yeah. I'm just saying that people are at making a big deal of this, but I'm like, this has been a thing for a long, long oh, no, time. I, like, I feel fun. like DC never ever does it for Marvel, but Marvel does yeah, it never. for DC quite a bit. Like they've had Spider-Man references, Batman references, like all throughout. Maybe it's just because they're iconic. I think it's because Batman and Superman and maybe Wonder Woman are like three of the most well-known. They're the Rolling Stones of fucking comic books. Well, I mean, man. like Superman's the number ones, one. They're and the Batman's, Beatles of comic books. Like Superman was the first, Batman was the second. They've they're been around the for a stick. long time. Yeah. They're, they're, like, the, they're, they're the stick that you measure everything against. They have symbols that the iconography is more famous than most flags in the world. They're Shakespeare. Yeah. They're just a benchmark that you 
measure everything against. Because they were the start. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah and yeah. they're still popular. Like, they're still relevant. So that's saying a lot for that many years. Like, that's yeah. a lot of staying power. But it is interesting that Marvel does that a lot. Like, a lot. They do it in the comics, except for when they're actually crossing over at DC, which has happened at least three times that I'm aware of, if not more. But DC never returns it that I've ever seen. I've never seen them return it once. <laughs> I guess they don't have to, but yeah. that's the privilege Marvel has is like, they're comfortable enough in their skin where they can like give a nod to DC. Well, and that's the other thing too, is it's clearly like Marvel is the open-minded tolerant side and DC is not because it, it even works that way with the fans. Like I've noticed that DC fans tend to be fans of only DC, at least the movies. They're like a lot of, them, and they yeah. don't like the Marvel movies. And then a lot I of, I will the... say Jeremiah is an exception to that. He's a big DC head, but he loves the MCU and he's, constantly in love with or disappointed with the dceu yeah <laughs> so. like i you know maybe it's just a matter of the fact that the mcu is so much more cohesive and well organized and the dceu is just kind of a they they're they trying just, to couple copy marvel but they keep they failing keep making trying to take shortcuts yeah. That's the thing. They keep trying to take shortcuts. This was a long-term thing that did not really kick off for like the first six or seven years. Yeah, this they were is doing just it. them being like, we're going to expand it out and tell like, doing like a Justice legit League science fiction was like story. their third movie. Yeah. You can't do make ju- – they did like – And they basically had the, the beginnings of the Justice League in movie number two. Yeah. Like that's like, insane. Terrible. They went, they went from Superman to Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Flash – to like adding one or two more characters and just like that's crazy. That's not good. Yeah. There's a way to do it right, but they clearly didn't do it. Nope. You know? Yeah, it's, it, they just they shouldn't have put all their chips in Zack Snyder. I was gonna do a review, but I'm not going to now because I'll just save it for Brandon. What was it? What was that movie you went to last night? I, I'll tell you off mic. No, tell me right now. <laughs> Take it easy, you bastard. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Have a laugh with Lauren and Sarah as they dip in and out of topics every other week on their shiny new podcast, Dippers. Weekly pop culture news you can use, coupled with reviews, deep dives you can't refuse, and occasional interviews on Not Safe for Network. Every week, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies, tracing their influences and effects on cinema. They also occasionally suffer through a really wretched stinker in the movie podcast, A Cosmic Void. Eric and Connor will guide you through the world of wrestlers on the big screen in the show you can understand just by its title, Movies with Wrestlers.